Heavenly Father, this morning as we, as we open your word, may we hear your voice speak to us. May our hearts be open. May we be challenged and moved forward in our journey with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke is the one that records our story for today. And the way he writes this story, he's got Jesus leaving the Gadarenes where he's just cast the demons out of those two, two demoniacs running around in the cemetery. Jesus gets in the boat and he goes up to Capernaum where we, we pick up the story today. Now Capernaum is kind of an interesting place. Um, there's no pictures today. I showed you some last week. But as you walk into the city, there's one obvious structure that's there and it's the synagogue. There's still walls that are standing. They're supported by some I-beams, some metal beams that hold it up, but it's still there and you can see it. And archeologists have dug around the side and you can see the ancient stones that were there at Jesus' time. This is where Jesus worshiped. This was his place of worship. The rest of the town is still kind of there. You see the, the framework of the, 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 the houses and the different structures there. It's just kind of low-lying, but you see the, the layouts of the houses, and there's roads that are there. They're skinny roads, and they all lead to the synagogue. And uh, somewhere around the synagogue is where this story takes place today. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can open them with me to Ma- uh, Luke chapter 8. Luke is the third gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. If you didn't bring your Bible today, or maybe this is your first time in a church, you can get the blue book that's in front of you, and you can follow along on page 732. It's the same version that I'm reading, so you'll be able to to read exactly what I'm saying, too, New International Version. Uh, You can find it and follow along. In this chapter, you get two stories. And Theo did a great job this morning, kind of giving the preamble to the story today. Two stories, two miracles, and two incredibly desperate people. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40, here's how the story goes. Verse 40 says this, Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Now, I know that in our church we have some kids, girls or boys, that are 12 years old. There's a bunch of them. I was at Fleece yesterday doing the chapel talk, and 700 kids are there, and there's a whole bunch of 12-year-olds in that building. And if you're a dad of a 12-year-old son or daughter, this is your story. Jairus is a synagogue leader, He's the one that facilitates worship. He's the one that people uh, come to and they respect him. He's in a place of honor. He's elite. He's at the top. People uh, see him go by and they, they think, wow, what a wonderful, righteous man. And as he in desperation comes to Jesus, he falls on his knees in humble worship of the King of Kings as he's pleading for healing. What a risk he's taking. As he bends the knee in front of Jesus, everything could change in his life. He could take his position away. Um, His family might disown him. That respect and honor of him might be pulled away from him, yet he'll do whatever it takes for the sake of his daughter. Now, here's the thing. Jairus' story gets rudely interrupted by another desperate person. And you read it in the next verse, verse 42. It says this. Uh, The end of verse 42. It says this. As Jesus was on his way... The crowds almost crushed him. 
And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. And I pause for a moment to kind of get in this story. Imagine you're there, Jesus is there, he's got his five disciples, he's got Peter, Andrew, James, and John, he just called Matthew, we talked about that last week. Um, they're, they're in the streets, remember these streets are tiny, they're like 10 feet wide. I'm, I'm six feet tall, so add uh, another half of me, basically, and you got the, the size of the street. Walls on both sides, you got house on this side, house on that side. It's a skinny, narrow little street. The Bible says that the crowd almost crushed Jesus. That's a lot of people packed in a small space. That is crushing. When I was in high school, I went to a concert. It was a Switchfoot concert. I really liked that band back in the day. Still kind of like them a little bit. Switchfoot concert in Atlanta. And uh, they have this venue, this concert venue in Atlanta. It's an old church. It's been renovated and a little bit remodeled. It's called the Tabernacle. And they have concert series there all the time. And so a couple of friends and I, we went down to the Tabernacle. And we went inside to, the, to the, 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 the area and went down to the front. There were already people all along the front of the the stage, but we worked our way and kind of squirmed our way down to the very front, so it's just the barricade right in front of us. Three or four, eight, maybe I think it was eight or nine of us were, that were there. And as the concert went on, more and more people came into the floor area, and it got tighter and tighter and tighter and thicker and thicker of people. And for some reason, I don't know if the air conditioner was broken, but it was a million degrees inside. It was terrible. And the whole time, like, we're, we're, we're rubbing up next to each other, and you guys know how it is in Florida when you sweat and you rub next to someone. It's just the grossest, slimiest feeling in the world. Oh, go take a shower. It's gross. We're sweating on each other. It's dripping off of us. And I'm thinking, where is the air conditioning? And then I felt it, cool blasts of air on the back of my neck. And I thought, thank goodness, someone turned the air conditioning on. And I turned around to see where the vent was, that the air was blowing on me. And I turned around to look up at the face of a man standing right behind me. And I realized that the cold blasts of air were from his nostrils as he exhaled. <laughs> That's gross, you guys. But it felt so good. And as the concert continued, more and more people packed into that uh, venue and they started to push forward and the people in the front we pushed back as we we're getting crushed and they continued to push and it was like this wave of, of pain as we got squashed and crushed together at the front and I imagine that this is what it's like as Jesus and his disciples and all the other people are crushed together in this little narrow hallway of Capernaum and it's in the middle of this crushing riot-like mass of humanity that we get introduced to an incredibly desperate woman. She's been bleeding for 12 years. Let's talk about it for a minute. Uh, one version says that she had an issue with blood. Thanks, that doesn't help us at all. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. But what was it? Did she have um, a festering wound that kept bleeding and you could put gauze and you could put band-aids on it, but it would just continue to bleed? Most translations, most commentators would say that she was having, continually having her periodic menstrual cycle and that she was always bleeding. I can't imagine how uncomfortable that is. Fellas, we don't have a clue. Ladies, can you imagine having cramps for 12 years? I can only imagine how frustrating it must have been in her mind and how embarrassing too 
because of her issue and whatever was messed up inside of her, she probably was infertile. And you better believe that no guy wanted to marry her or be with her because she couldn't give them a kid ever. But it gets worse than that because uh, she had gone to doctors. She'd been all over the place. She'd been to general practice. She'd been to family. She'd been to OBGYN. She'd gone to Orlando Health. That was her first mistake. (laughs) She'd gone to Advent Health. They couldn't help her either. She went to the Mayo Clinic. Still couldn't help her. And it's interesting that Luke... He writes this, he's a physician, and he's the only gospel writer that records this story that doesn't include the fact, as the other gospel writers say, that the doctors made her worse. She's been probed and prodded. She's been exposed and examined. She's only gotten worse than when she first started this issue. But it gets worse than that. She's been ostracized by the society, too. As Jewish law states, any woman that is bleeding is unceremonially unclean, and you may not be around people. You definitely are not allowed to go to worship, and you most definitely may not touch a religious leader. Yet she is a desperate woman, and desperate times call call for desperate measures. And so she's willing to do whatever it takes, even embarrass herself, as she'll do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. The only problem is... She's late. Jesus has come into Capernaum. He's been to Matthew's tax collection, toll booth. They've paid their money. Matthew's already invited him to the party. So now they've gone to Matthew's house for the party. So she's chasing the crowd to Matthew's house. She gets to Matthew's house. They've already left. And so now she's chasing the crowd through the city. And she finally sees the, 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 the crowd. And she's trying to figure out what she will do. What if people notice her? What if people see the blood? What if she's exposed? As as I'm brooding on this passage and I'm trying to put myself in it, it makes me think, what would it be like for me or or you? Would you ever go outside if you had a flaky, scaly rash that covered your whole body? Would you ever go outside? I wouldn't want to. I'd Uber Eats all day long. I'm not going out. What if you had a giant growth on the back of your neck or a birthmark that covered half your body? What if you had the worst acne ever and it was just so severe it was pussy and oozy and gross? Would you ever go out? And she's at a place where she will throw care to the wind because she has to get to Jesus. She's desperate. Have you ever been desperate? Do you you even know what desperate looks like? Have you ever experienced something that forces you to throw care to the wind? in order for you to get to Jesus? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to get to him? See, I think in life there are so many barricades and and barriers that get in between us and Jesus. And everybody has something different. So I'll say a few here, and maybe if the shoe fits, you put it on, and if it doesn't, you gotta come up with your own. But some of us struggle with with pride. Uh, It's so severe that our pride comes between us and Jesus, and we say, ah, I'm good, I'm righteous, I do good things, I do community service, I am in that 30 to 40% that give the church budget. Are we willing to admit that we need help? Are we willing to admit that if, if we want to get off this planet, it's because Jesus is the one that gets us there? Some of us struggle with something else, and it's, it's a struggle with identity. It's identity that's formed because of what you want somebody else to think you are. 
It's, it's, it's someone else's formed identity of you and you want to present that to the world and instead of humbly saying, God, I am who you say I am, I am a disciple of Jesus, instead we present this image to others and it gets in between us and Jesus. Here's one that I think a lot of people, maybe all of us can put on. Some of us struggle with an attitude problem. We've got a problem with everything. We are incredibly critical and judgmental. Uh, and some of us are called keyboard warriors. Some of you know who I'm talking about or what I'm talking about, maybe you are. If there's a policy change, you're gonna spell it out on Facebook. If there's, if there's a po political view that you disagree with, you're gonna tell the world about it. If you have a problem with something, you're ready to spout it off. And sometimes our attitude gets in between us and Jesus. Still, some of us struggle with the not fairs. It's not fair that I couldn't have kids. It's not fair that I never got married. It's not fair that I got married to a jerk and now I got divorced. It's not fair that I don't make as much money as they do. It's not fair that my kid has an issue they struggle with. Why me? It's not fa fair that I struggle with a habit or addiction when not everybody else does too. It's not fair that I struggle with sexual identity and I don't even know who I am. It's not fair that I have to go through this and because life wasn't fair to you, it gets in between you and Jesus. But when does it end? When do you get so sick and tired of it that you're willing to do whatever it takes to get to Jesus? Because this woman in our story, she has had it and she's willing to climb over anything and everything and anybody to get to Jesus. The story continues, verse 44, here's what it says. The woman came up behind him and she touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Y'all, that's a miracle. That's an instantaneous touch miracle. And I can just only imagine how it happens. The poor girl, she jostles and, and elbows and, and crawls and clamors her way through the crowd. She's trying to get through. It's jammed in there. It's crushing Jesus. And she's trying to make her way through it. She's getting closer. She can see the back of his head now. And she's getting closer. But the problem is every time she takes a step towards him, he takes another step away from her. She's trying to get to him. And as she's getting closer and closer, she lunges forward in a last ditch effort, reaching through shoulders and hips and elbows and ankles as she leans forward, falling, tripping before she's hitting the gravel and clay pavement. And she reaches out and she brushes the blue and white tassels on the bottom of Jesus' robe. She'll do whatever it takes. She goes crashing down onto the pavement. But instantly as she lies there, she feels something. It's in her body. It's in her bones. She feels warmth. She feels healing. She feels a cure that only a God that knows your body best can give you. No longer is she bleeding. No longer is she afflicted with an embarrassing condition. No longer is she looked down upon and marginalized and pushed to the side. No longer will she be passed by as someone that's unworthy. The crowd, they move past her like she's a dead body on the ground. They just keep moving along. They don't know what's happened. They probably wouldn't care if they did. But Jesus Amen. stops. Amen. I think he stops because 
he's not going to let this opportunity pass to speak life into this girl. And so he stops, and in verse 45, you hear the rest of the story here. Verse 45 says, Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding around, pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. I mean, it's a ridiculous request that Jesus asks. I mean, they're crushing him, and he says, uh, which one of you touched me? It, it kind of reminds me of a, um, you know how in ordinations, elder ordinations, pastor ordinations, we, we put laying on of hands, and it says, well, if, if, if you can't touch the person, then touch the person touching the person. Everybody in that corridor was touching each other. They're all connected to Jesus somehow. And when Jesus says, who touched me, they all feel like they should raise their hand because they're all so close and crushing in on him. He says, who touched me? Honestly, I believe that God, that Jesus knew it all along who had touched him. He knew. But it was for the sake of the woman, and I think it was for the sake of the crowd around that he wanted to identify and draw attention to her faith and miracle. And it brings me to an application point. It's a short one, but I think it's powerful. Are you willing to allow your struggle or your pain or your hurt or whatever you're dealing with be something that God can use to glorify Him? I think that so often we become so focused on how badly it hurts and why it happened to us that we forget that God can and will use everything to help others know Him too. I mean, what a humbling thought that God can use what you're going through to bring others to Him. Verse 47 says this, Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at His feet. And in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched Him and how she had been instantly healed and then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. <laughs> this woman, she's been broken and bleeding, but now she is whole and healed. She falls at the feet of Jesus and she spills her guts to him in front of the whole crowd. It doesn't matter what they think. She's been with Jesus. She doesn't care if they're grossed out by her past condition or her previous disease. She doesn't care because she's healed, she's whole, and she's with Jesus. Can you imagine the weight lifted off of her? Twelve years in bondage, and now she's been free. Twelve years she's been living in unbelievable suffering, but not anymore. She's free. And Jesus' words, they, they ring in my ears this morning, and I, I think they do for you too, because Jesus, he speaks directly to her, and he says, daughter... Your faith has healed you. I mean, first of all, I love that Jesus calls her daughter because a girl for 12 years who couldn't call anyone family, who nobody cared about her, Jesus says, when no one wanted you, I wanted you. You are mine. You are my daughter. This morning, I know that there are many here that feel incredibly lonely, and loneliness comes from so many different reasons. Maybe it's family that's estranged. Maybe it's from other issues, struggles in relationships. This morning, I believe Jesus speaks to you in that verse as he says to you, my daughter, my son, when no one else wants you, when you feel like an outcast and a loser and a loner, I want you. There's no one else that can want you like Jesus wants you. 
And then Jesus says this interesting part. He says, he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. And it's an interesting part of the story because it was her effort that got her to him. It was her work. It was her never giving up attitude that got her to the point where she could reach out and touch Jesus and his power could change her life. Nobody helped her. In fact, they made it worse. They didn't make a path for her to walk to Jesus. They crowded around him so she couldn't get to him. And Jesus says, your faith has healed you because it was your faith that made you get through the crowd so that you could get to Jesus. This morning, I have two questions for you that have, that have come to mind as I've brooded over this passage a bit. Two questions. These are application questions for you, so I hope you internalize them and answer them yourself. Here's the first one. We're going to put it up on the screen. It says, what is keeping you away from Jesus? There are so many things clamoring for our attention, and they end up dominating our lives, and they keep us away from Jesus. Um, some of us struggle with unhealthy habits, uh, unhealthy relationships. Uh, you're sitting next to somebody, maybe. Some of us struggle with habits. Some of us have bad decisions or selfishness or pride, or here's one, unkind people. Last Sabbath, I was sitting in my office talking with someone, pouring their heart out to me about a situation that happened a while ago. High school students, adults involved, I don't even know all the details of what happened, but someone was hurt so badly, and as they're sharing the story, they said, it makes me want to take a step back and take a break from church, and my heart broke as I said, no, don't take a break. Don't let unkind people keep you from getting close to Jesus. Last Sabbath, I get an email. It's an email from somebody, a, a, a member of another local church in this area, and, and they email me, their grandparents and their grandkids, they may only be the only connection with Jesus and their grandkids, and so they, they've done their best. They got brand new clothes for their grandkids. They want to bring them to Sabbath school and church. They decide to come to Forest Lake, and they, they, they get ready, and you parents, you know how hard it is to get kids ready, and you got to get their clothes right, and just to get them out the door with two shoes on is a miracle. They do it, they get them in the car, they get them here, they're late, very late. They go to the wrong door, they go to another wrong door, they finally get to the right door, but by this time, Sabbath school's almost over. They, they can't even enjoy, they can't even participate, and so they leave hurt and feeling unwelcomed. And as I'm reading this email and as I'm listening for the hurt in their heart that they're expressing, it made me say, don't let this keep you away from getting to Jesus. What is keeping you away from getting to Jesus this morning? You're the only one that knows. And here's the other question I have for you this morning. It's on the screen for you. It says this. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to get to Jesus? What is it going to take for you to get to him? What is in the way that you have to climb over to get to Jesus? Is it cutting ties with someone that you think is your best friend, but they only pull you down and away from Jesus? Is it going to take you adjusting your lifestyle and timing of how you do things to keep you out of situations that tempt you? Is it going to take you helping and serving and being others-centered to get over your selfishness? Is it going to take you getting involved in something for God to help you get out of complacency and laziness? Or this one, and I feel like this resonates in so many hearts this morning. Is it 
fully forgiving someone and refusing to let others keep you away from Jesus. This morning, I don't know the application that fits you, but I want to pray for you as we close. So if you'll bow your heads, let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, we're challenged by the story of a woman, a desperate woman that would do whatever it takes to get to you. God, we know that you want nothing in between us and that you'll do whatever it takes to help us get to you too. So God, I ask that you'll give all those people here this morning courage and stamina to press through the crowd to do whatever it takes to get to you. In Jesus' name, amen.